Graham and Katrina Perkins are riding the slow lane around the world. They left Australia back in 2016 and figured it'd take a few years to explore the globe, but it's now seven years later, and they've only made it about halfway around the world. They've learned plenty, met loads of people, crossed many borders, all along perfecting this thing we call motorcycle travel. They pack extremely light, they plan ahead, and the more they ride, the slower they go. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manick. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Pavey. Bill Bragoon. Paddy Capetos. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Graham Jarvis. Quentin Smoke. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear, greenchiliadv.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters, cyclepump.com. Okay, my name's Katrina Perkins. I'm married to Graham Perkins. We've been together since we've been 19. And we've been travelling on motorcycle since we've been 19, off and on. My name's Graham, uh, Katrina's husband, of course. We had our first uh, big trip to North America when we were 22, 23 for a year, um, and then just got on with life. But... Uh, back in mid-16, we packed up again, loaded up the bike, and we headed off. And other than COVID, we've been pretty much on the road since. And we're about to head off again in, uh, well, in a, in a week's time to pick up, uh, to pick the bike up and head off again. Katrina, Graham, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Katrina, you guys met in high school, would it be? No. No, we just met through um, family connections and, um, yeah. We'll we'll talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Must we? (laughs) Oh, great. So we found the first thing you're uncomfortable with. Excellent. Let's dive right in there. No, we, we just had some common friends. So um, anyway, we met uh, a year or two after high school and we've been together for, uh, I'd be giving away secrets here, but more than 40 years now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think you already gave that away when you mentioned the seventies. And I was <laughs> yeah. thinking the seventies, when was that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does seem a long time ago, doesn't it? <laughs> now, Katrina, do you ride uh, as well? Um, I do have a license. I've had a license since I was about 20, but um it's always been easier just to sit on the back. Mm. It's a bit like you asked Graham about 
being on the farm and having motorcycles, I wasn't on a farm. I was a townie. So it was more difficult for me to get the skills because you're on the road when you're learning. Right. So you're learning the mechanics of riding a bike, but you also have to worry about the traffic. So it it was a little bit more difficult. And since then, you know, kids and stuff, I haven't really had the opportunity. I've just always been on the back, which I quite like. I fall asleep on the back. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite quite relaxing. (laughs) That topic has come up on our Raw show a couple of times recently. And that always always amazes me. I'm shocked that anybody can actually sleep. I mean, I can imagine you sort of drifting off to sleep because maybe there might be times when it's a little more boring when you're when you're actually not riding the bike but to have a sleep that seems like an awful lot yeah no i sleep when when a helmet starts headbutting the back of my helmet i know what she's doing she's nodding off uh. <laughs> that's right <laughs> but katrina so do you still ride though could you still like jump on the bike and go uh, on a small bike maybe but i'd i'd have to run around our paddock a bit to make sure i get you know so i haven't ridden for a very long time what I was thinking is because it's like kind of like the ideal setup for people traveling together two up is if both are licensed. I'm mm-hmm. just thinking you've got your licenses. Great. So if something happens to Graham, you know, where he can't ride right now, you could simply ride the bike and he could ride in the back. No, I can't even touch the ground on the Africa twin. Oh, right. Okay. So that doesn't work for you as well, but it's not completely no. out to launch. I mean, if something, if there was some sort of emergency or something, you could potentially get on the bike and ride to to get somebody or something like that. Uh, I think I'd walk. <laughs> <laughs> well, it solves that, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it? It takes all our effort for the two of us just to pick it up, Jim. It's um, it's a great bike. It's been a good bike, but um, yeah, it's it's not well matched to Katrina's stature. She's she's quite short, and I'm quite tall. I, I, I've got ducks disease. <laughs> <laughs> ducks disease. What is that? Yeah, that's where where my bottom is very close to the ground, <laughs> and I waddle occasionally. <laughs> I have have not heard that, but I can really picture it in my mind right now. (laughs) Yeah, look, um, we've talked recently, perhaps we we need to get a couple of small uh, little CRF 300s or something for around here when we're home. Uh, Those two bikes would be well matched and we could enjoy those together, but that's something that maybe might happen in a year or two in the future. Like a different kind of fun sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, when we toured the US on... In 83, 84, we actually were on a Harley, uh, a Harley Lowrider, and I could ride that one. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, because the seating position was low. That's the photograph I saw. Graham sent it in the email of you guys sitting on Pike's Peak on the Harley. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Yes. And you guys were 22, 23 then? Yeah, we, that's right. We were, we were 22. We were born in the same year in 61. And, uh, it was November 83. Uh, we went across there and um, we were going to buy, uh, that always had to be a Harley. Um, it's just, you know, anyway, that was the thought process. You mean we because just... you're going to the States? Is that why? Correct. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And um, we thought we'd just buy a bike and, and we'd be off, but we had no idea just how cold your weather was, your winters. <laughs> and <laughs> it was a shock. It really was a shock. Um, you got to, you got to put us in a place in time. It was 83, you know, no internet, nothing of that. Yeah. Um, so we thought, yeah, this is not going to happen. Uh, well, not not in November, December. So we um, we delayed that. We uh, picked up a little bit of casual work. Um, 
perhaps I'm revealing too much there. But anyway, by uh, by April, was mm. it April? April. 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 We bought the bike in February in San Francisco, um, rode it up to the Sierras where we were living at the time, and then April we were off and we toured for the next, well, through to about October. We were pretty solid on the road. Yeah, it was a great year. It really was a lot of fun. Wow. And to do that, like, how did you save up the money and everything for that? Well, just the old-fashioned way. Worked hard and um, put it put it at, uh, put it away in the bank. Well, that, um, that is very old-fashioned. You realize <laughs> people are doing that now. <laughs> That's strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, look, we had we just worked hard for a year and and we we socked the money away and put it away and and, and uh, I don't know what what did we have about thirteen. We, well, we sold our cars. We both had a car, so we sold them each. Um, and when we left. We, there was no credit cards. We didn't have credit cards. We just took all our money with us. Travelers um, checks. Travelers checks. <laughs> oh, right, and yeah. I took a bank, an international banker's draft. So when we got there, we negotiated that. And then that, we had an American bank account. But unlike Australia, back, in, back there, the American banking system wasn't national. So when you're moving around the country, it was actually quite difficult. Um, I think it's still pretty much the same. Um, our banks are all over the country, but not in the US and Canada. So, yeah, anyway, we just saved up our money. Uh, we ended up with about $1,000 a month in our pocket. Uh, we had to make that stretch uh, and off we went. We, we, yeah, we had a great year. We're really good. We met a lot of great people. Uh, we still got friends today from, from that period 40 years ago, oh, which wow. hopefully we'll catch up with this year. But, um, well, there's a few. There's two or three. Oh, that's I wouldn't great. count it. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it is, it is. What was the original plan for you to do this? I mean, it sounds like you sold everything and hit the road. Uh, originally, we were going to spend six months in the U.S. We had a return ticket, so we were going to do six months in the U.S. And when we got across to New York, we were going to catch a flight across to Europe and do six months in Europe. Well, that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> we quickly realized we had to scale things right back Um Look, we've, we've been to the US. This will be our fifth visit. We're heading off in a week's time and we still really only scratched the surface. Um, we were going to go to Mexico, but uh, we never got there. Uh, every Everybody we mentioned to that we were heading off down to Mexico, um, there wasn't one single person said that that was a good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had nothing to reference against. We had no way of... Uh, deciding whether that was good information or not. And because everybody said it was not a good idea, we never went. Of course, we regret regret that now. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll make up for that in, in the next little while. So we spent, but nonetheless, I mean, we had six, seven months on the road uh, in US and Canada, and we could have had six, seven years, honestly. Uh, when so, you said you, you realized you had to change your plans, is that for money-wise or is that just the vastness of, of the United States? Well, both, both. Uh, yeah, certainly both. Uh, more time than anything. We realized it just wasn't a time in 12 months to do anything like what we were planning to do. Uh, it was a different time. It really was. Uh, but yeah, nonetheless, we had a great time. It was fantastic. Katrina, what did that do for your, your thought process of, um, or the way you looked at motorcycle travel? Oh, I love motorcycle travel. Um, I get motion sickness. So me being a passenger in a car or on a boat is um, not a very pleasant experience for me. 
oh. on windy road, windy roads and stuff. Whereas on the bike, there's no problem. Like we did India and some of the high Himalayas, which are quite windy roads and that. If I'd have been relying on the public transport, I would have packed up and gone home with probably within within five days. <laughs> but on a bike, because you actually go with the bike, you're not counter counterbalancing, it, it was really good. So I don't mind it. Um, also on a bike, you have, haven't got much real estate to carry a lot of stuff. So it means that um, you you learn to do without a lot of stuff that you take for granted. Is that good? What? Yeah. yeah. Like I can't remember the last time I wore makeup and I've never, ever used a hairdryer on my hair just because of the type of hair. So if I had been a person that relied on those things, travelling on a motorbike would be probably more difficult for me. You just become a different person when you're travelling on a bike. Mm. When you guys came back at the, in, in 83, uh, 84, I guess when it was, you'd learned something about yourselves, about the way you would fund future trips, or, or perhaps more about what you didn't like about the way you, you funded the trip. Talk about that. Um, when we were pimply-faced 22-year-olds, we, we, we left here in Australia with every penny we'd saved back in 80, November 83, went to North America. Um, yeah, well, we were there for, for a year and by March or April, we, we'd bought a Harley and we toured around. We, we came home a year later, so in November 84, we were home. Uh, but we came back to nothing. I mean, we had a couple hundred dollars and we brought the bike back home too. The bike came back with us. Um, but we had nothing and it was just a hollow, hollow feeling, horrible, horrible feeling. Mm. And, and then shortly we sold the bike too to help us get us on the uh, property ladder. Um, but no, we never want to go through that again. It's it's a shock. It's a shock to the system. Um, it's like your balloon has been burst and you, you, you're grounded very, very quickly. Um, and because we we sold our cars, we we really scraped together every dollar we could get. And um, if I remember correctly, we left five hundred dollars behind. And I think within a week of returning, that was gone. Then, oh. um, yeah, yeah. Um, so for a short while, we were relying on friends and family. But we had jobs lined up. Um, we we had jobs more or less to step back into, uh, and we went got cracking back straight into work um, and we started to build up, uh, you know, a bit of a nest egg again. And I think within 12 months we'd bought our first property. But those initial weeks and months, nah, it's a pretty hollow feeling. So uh, we we uh, we made sure that we wouldn't put ourselves in that situation again. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, it wasn't pleasant at all. But, you know, we were young. We bounced. We bounced back pretty quickly. So sure. it, it was no big deal. Uh, it was It was short-lived. And fairly quickly, we were back on our feet and um, and we just got on with life, you know. Uh, we decided at that point we needed to get a property and we did. And uh, It was a few years later and our two boys came along. So, uh, you know, we, we were just into pretty regular domestic life, I suppose. Careers, no, we never really had careers. We're not career people, although we've always worked. Um, and uh, But, yeah, more recent, oh, well, we, we – 
we took off with the kids when they were four and five and we were abroad for four or five years, or six years actually. Nearly six years. Six years, yeah, that's right, six years. Wow. Uh, until they started, uh, had to start their high school and uh, so we're back to Australia and we settled down again. But then more recently, uh, back in 16, we, right, it's time to go again. So when you took the kids, did you sell your house and everything or did you do the same thing, leave the house? No, we sold, sold the property then. Uh, right. We sold that property uh, and we just took off to the UK. We had the opportunity because of my heritage, my grandfather being born there, I could get a visa, which gave us a four-year visa to live in, in the UK. So we just took that opportunity and uh, sold the property, put the money in the bank. Uh, and we, we had a four-year plan. It ended up nearly six so uh, that was another little yeah, direction off, off to the left field a bit. <laughs> Great um, for the kids, though. Oh, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic for the kids. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'd want to do it in their high school years, but we did it during their primary, primary school years. And, yeah, it just opens the world up to them. Um, and three or four times a year, we'd, we, we, had, we were um, steady in a place. We had a place rented in Yorkshire in England. Kids were at school, if not... Every week of the year, every week bar one or two, and during the holidays we'd shoot off to Egypt or to uh, oh we went all over, didn't we? Russia, Turkey, Russia, Turkey, Egypt, um, all over Europe, just wow. uh, just whatever took our fancy. Well, what what could fit with uh, the kids' schooling and, and the jobs that we had there? So that was a that was a little stint overseas for six years for with the kids, then back home, and then back into regular domestic. Um, life, I suppose. And you um, said in, in 2016, you decided to set out again. What was the plan with that? Uh, what was the plan with that? There was no plan. Um, <laughs> well, the plan wasn't <laughs> to sell everything and, and hit the road. Uh, no, 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 no. Um, we, we came back from the UK at uh, 2002 and because of that clean break, we could sort of, we thought, well, where do we want to live? That was the main priority then. So we, we've chosen a Beautiful part of Australia, although there are many beautiful parts in Australia, I'm sure as many are aware. And we've set up a nice property here. We're, we're on a few acres um, and we're very happy here. So we're always going to keep this property. Um, and then in 16, we, uh, but we did have to lease it out to, to finance our trip to go traveling. Uh, so we were just planning to go around the world. This time we're going to go around the world. Uh, and but never, never in my wildest dreams did I think six years later we're still only halfway into it. Of course, we didn't see cut. <laughs> How no, long was it supposed no. to be? Well, if you'd asked me back then, I would have said two, three or four years at the max. Um, yeah, but what are we now? We're in nearly halfway into 23. But of course, we lost two and a half years with COVID, so... Mm-hmm. I guess we could use that as an excuse. So what's the trouble? Are you just having trouble finding your way or? <laughs> we just slow down. <laughs> we just go slower and slower. Yeah, we get lost a lot actually. <laughs> um, look, once you step out of Australia, well, the, the, head, the way we headed off up to Darwin, Timor, Leste and through Asia, once you commit to that, uh, you really can't stop. You've got to keep going. It, it's a little bit problematic leaving the bike anywhere. You've got a number of issues at play. You've got your carnet to passage Duan. Uh, that's valid for a year. So you want to be through all those countries that require a carnet uh, to, to travel through them. You, you, although you can renew it, it it's, you, if you can not have to renew it, you, you're better off. So point being is we had to keep moving. 
So we had a solid, what was it, Katrina, 16 months, I think? Yeah, 16, 17 months. We left in, well, we left home in August 16 and we arrived in Greece Greece in in October October 17. And by then we're pretty exhausted. Uh, So we parked the bike up, we came home just for a quick break, um, six weeks, I think. Might have been three months. That was three months. That might have been three months, yeah. And we just had to recuperate. Um, We're we're pretty exhausted. Um, I lost 30 kilos. Um, Katrina, no, not that much. What do you lose, 20 Mm, kilos? 25. Um, So we came home for a break, uh, went back. We're just going to have a year in in Europe, but we decided to have two on the way back. Uh, And then we left the bike in Bulgaria expecting it that was in October 19 yeah and we were going to be back there in March 20 mm. of course covid hit yeah. so the bike the bike got left in Bulgaria for two and a half years but back in 2016 when you left you had an accident before you <laughs> oh, even left yeah, didn't you yeah. like what yeah, a way we, to start a trip talk about that it, yeah yeah that's um boy never say never Well, we're going to take just a quick break. I got a couple of things I want to tell you about, but stay with us. We got a lot more coming up. You do not want to miss Overland Expo West this year, coming May 19th to 21st, 2023 in Flagstaff, Arizona. Overland Expo West, get trained, get outfitted, and get inspired to explore the world at Overland Expo. This is the show for overlanding everywhere. And each year people come from all around the world to visit Overland Expo because it's size and and they have so much going on there. It's held at the Fort Tuthill County Park in Flagstaff, Arizona. It's the greatest collection of overland adventure companies in the world with more than 400 gear vendors, according to Overland Expo. Uh, Outfit your motorcycle for your next adventure. You can test ride adventure bikes from Triumph, Ural, Royal Enfield and more. Camp with your friends in the Moto area. This is a new area they've got going with day or evening passes. You can build your off-road confidence with interactive courses, and you'll totally get inspired visiting with authors and filmmakers and other travelers, hosting workshops and classes and sharing their stories from the road. So for Overland Expo, you got to get your tickets in advance. So go online, overlandexpo.com, and get your tickets in advance. Don't wait because they're liable to sell out with this show. Everyone wants to get out there, especially since we've been through COVID. Don't stay at home. Overland Expo West, Flagstaff, Arizona, May 19th to 21st. And they and anytime you're dealing with them when you're booking your tickets, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. OverlandExpo.com. Hurley's Possum Socks are the official sock of Adventure Rider Radio because they are the best cold weather socks I've ever tried. They truly are incredible. Now, I want to tell you the secret about Pearly's Possum Socks. Yes, they're made by motorcyclists for motorcyclists. So that is great right off the bat. The shape and, and probably the cut and the thickness, that's all built with motorcycling in mind specifically. So that's amazing. But the real secret is in those natural fibers. Now, I, I'm just going to have to run you through some, some technical stuff here. Basically, the, the, the idea of insulation is to trap tiny air pockets in some sort of material because air doesn't conduct heat very well. If you trap a small pocket of air and hold it apart with fibers, like that's what insulation does, has very low conductivity. Now, these small pockets of air, 
have to be very tiny. The smaller, the better, because what you want to do is you want to get them so small that they don't create any sort of internal circulation of air. So in other words, that air pocket isn't taking the warm air and moving it to the cooler part of the pocket because that would help conduct the heat to the next pocket, the next pocket. And you got to keep them apart with some sort of material, some sort of fiber that also doesn't conduct heat very well. Okay, so now if you look at a close-up of a synthetic fiber, what you're going to likely see is a lot of straight, pretty straight pieces. I mean, we're talking microscopic, like very small, but very straight pieces of, well, plastic made of oil. If you look at the same zoom in of a piece of merino wool or possum fur, you're going to see endless tiny little fibers getting smaller and smaller and smaller and all trapping even tinier bubbles of air. Now you introduce moisture to either one of those materials or any one of the, either one of those weaves from your feet. Your feet put out a lot of moisture in a day. And if there are synthetic socks you're wearing, what will happen is it will draw the moisture away from your foot, which is great. It takes it into the fibers, but because the fibers are plastic, they don't absorb moisture. It fills the spots where the air was before. So all of a sudden you lose some of your insulation now because it's drawn the moisture through. Now that also creates a situation where now it wants to evaporate. And for evaporation, you need heat. It draws the heat away from your skin to make that evaporation happen. With the natural fiber, that the, the merino wool and possum fur that's in Pearly's possum socks, these fibers can actually absorb moisture. They don't have to give up the air bubble spots. The moisture itself will be wicked into the fiber. That's a key difference because now you've got the fiber absorbing the water, pulling it away from your skin, and that leaves little tiny bubbles still in there for insulation, which is why Pearly's possum socks will feel much warmer and drier than a synthetic sock. I know this is getting very technical, but this is really where the difference is. This is where the secret sauce is. Now you put that together, of course, with the, the weave and that they're shaped for us, for riders and all those things. And that's what makes an awesome sock for riding. Now I wear my pearlies all year round in my riding boots because of their efficiency in dealing with moisture. Plus the weave and the cut, the weave and, and the plushness of the sock feels just so incredibly good. And of course, when the weather gets cold, they keep my feet warm. The website is pearliespossumsocks.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there, you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. pearliespossumsocks.com. Back in 2016, when you left, you had an accident before you even oh, left, yeah, didn't you? Yeah. Like, what yeah, a way we, to start a trip. Talk about that. It, yeah, yeah. That's, um, boy, never say never. I, up until that stage, I'd been riding on the road for 40 years. I'd, I'd never had an accident. Now, perhaps that's just good luck. I don't know. I'd like to think there's a bit of skill in that. But sure. anyway, we, uh, yeah, we, we've five days, I think, five. from leaving home. Mm. And we crested a little hill in a bend of a road just north of Sydney and there was a car immediately in front of us. Well, when I say immediately, maybe 100 metres in front of us, not moving or barely moving. Um, It transpired this young lady who had just got a licence did a U-turn across double white lines and she was just starting to go back from the direction in which she had come from. Of course, we didn't do. We didn't know she was there because we crested the hill and it was on a corner. So I'm doing about 80 kilometres an hour, and she might have been doing 10. 
anyway, long story short, she uh, we 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 sideswiped her, uh, trying to avoid her, and the bike was totaled, the car was totaled. Um, I was just pleased that we both came out of it really with mild concussion, and I lost a big toenail. So that was that was yeah yeah that was it. A few bruises. Yeah, it was. Helmets were completely destroyed. Yeah, is that we, right? look, yeah, mm, yeah. The it, bike was a write-off. I saw the, the photos. The car is absolutely mashed on the side. Mm. Yeah, yeah, It looks yeah, like yeah. a big truck hit it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no offense to your Honda. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. <laughs> or, 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 or the two of us on it. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> take it how you yeah. will. <laughs> yeah, these, well, look, modern cars, I tell you what, I think they're designed that way. They're, they're designed to absorb the impact. Yeah, you, you, you see the uh, you see the photos, you think, hell, how did anybody come out of that? Um, well, that's my first thought is how did you guys come? I mean, the motorcycle, well, I guess, there's nothing there. I guess it because it was a glancing blow. Uh, we we were coming up behind the vehicle and then we had to get around it. But what, I don't want, it'll take 20 minutes to talk about and I don't want to do that, take up the time. But anyway, she was veering back across the other side of the road and um, left me with no escape route. If I'd T-boned her, yeah, the outcome would have been totally different. But I struck her at an angle of perhaps 10 degrees, mm. if that makes sense, coming from behind. Yeah. And then, then as yeah, and just sort of caved in both doors of the car. Uh, we went over the top. The bike went everywhere. We Yeah, um, we, we were just very fortunate, very fortunate, Jim. The biggest problem with that at the time was that bike had not long been released. And this is the bike I wanted to use. It seemed, it seemed a good choice. What was it? Uh, the Honda Africa Twin. Mm-hmm. Um and to get one, I think there were 500 coming to Australia or something like that. You had to order them six months prior. Oh, you had wow. to order them back in 15. So I'd had this bike all set up and I thought, well, the bike we had was clearly going nowhere. So in a hurry, uh, we had to find another one. And it was just fortunate. We found uh, a little motorcycle shop out in Western New South Wales. He still had one on the floor as a demo. And um, so we we got hold of that. and. Uh, is that how it happened though? Like the, I mean, you just talked about a crash and then you talk instantly about getting a bike. Was there not a, a, a decision making process in there? Was not a sort of a, a breath where you said, wait a second here. You know what I mean? Uh, Cause you're just not, starting out on this trip. Yeah, not really because we'd leased our house out. So we had no home to go back to. All we had was what we were carrying on the bike clothes wise and everything. So we thought, well, what do we do? We can't hang around. We're committed. So well, I, we can, yeah. I do remember having a conversation with Katrina. I don't know if it was that day, but certainly the following day. We we're fortunate in one respect. We were only about 50 or 80 kilometres from some good friends of ours in Newcastle. So we, we were quickly up at their place. And I said to Katrina, I said, look, I don't know about you, but I really want to continue on with this. Are you okay? And she said, yes, straight away. So so no, no, we're fine with it. Um, it. It does. It was a bit of a shock, but we're over it pretty quickly. And and then we had to go right. We need to find a bike. Uh, and honestly, I didn't think we'd get one, but we did. We did. Uh, and and that's the bike we still got today. So we quickly. I think it was about an eight, well, maybe not eight, eight hours, six hour trip out to Condoblin. Yeah. Um, pick up the bike. Back to Newcastle, um, strip off what we could salvage from the wreck onto the new bike, um, buy some new gear, 
Uh, get a new carnet because we had a carnet for oh, that's right. yeah. the crashed bike, so we have to get a new carnet. Oh, right, because um, it's issued to the bike. Yeah. Correct, correct. So it, it was three weeks. We stayed with our friends three weeks before we were off on the road again, and we had to set up the new bike, get a new carnet. We had to ship the wreck down to Victoria to family because it couldn't stay with our friends. So all of this was three weeks, and then we were on the road again. Yeah. And it gave us time to focus, to knuckle down, to, to, to get, to just move on. And yeah, and that's how we are. We, we're quite um, pragmatic, the pair of us. Um, we see a problem, we just tackle it and get on with it. Uh, and I was just glad that we came out of it okay. Um, and, and yeah, and so then then we're off, we're, we're off properly. And, and we've had a pretty good run since. Yeah, a couple little incidents, sure, along the way, as everybody does, but we, we've been okay. Well, you had gear and, stolen as well in that first first year, I guess, oh, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I'd forgotten uh, about that. First, <laughs> first, first couple of weeks in Timor-Leste. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we Look, were staying at a little hostel or, or Airbnb or something. It wasn't Airbnb, but up above a restaurant, and there was no parking other than on the street. And we asked the restaurant owner, is it safe? And she said, yeah, yeah, safe. But there was a local cultural festival and there was a lot of Drunk young men around. Well, we don't know whether they're drunk, but no. look, look anyway, wow, that sounds was, sort of like stereotyping there, doesn't it? Drunk young men that automatically <laughs> they become criminals. What's that about? Yeah, look, no, they, they, they were. There, there was quite a festive mood. There was no doubt about that. Yeah, um, yeah look, we we should have taken more care. We should have realised. Um, I guess we're just a bit naive, um, but it it made us. Uh, sort of change and be a lot more careful since. And we've been fine since. We've, we've had no trouble whatsoever. Yeah. Um, what did you lose? Since it, oh, they were just, we just had those soft bags that a lot of people use on their engine bars. And we had, I, I think there was five or $600 worth of gear from memory, but it was mostly things like with spare inner tubes. And, uh, and Scott Oiler oil. Oh yeah, we had a bottle of oil for the Scott oil. Oh, so it's stuff that's it's not that expensive, but it's hard to collect together. Absolutely, and that I, I remember that sort of. Oh, I took months to pull all this together, yeah. you know, all the little bits and pieces. And we're in a a part of the world you, you simply cannot get. You know, Timor Leste could well be the poorest country in the world. I'm I'm not sure, but it's certainly it's it's uh, it's right down there in in the you know. As part as you know, their wealth, um, and you couldn't get any of this gear there. You really couldn't. So no, uh, it was okay. We um, we just managed, um, but all those little bits and bobs that you pick up and you need and you require, and uh, it just made us be a lot more careful from that point onwards. So you, you've always been careful since then. Well, yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, it, it's a major priority. Is when we're looking for a place to stay, it, it's the bike first, and we come second. Uh, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Well, out, out of that inc- incident, we bought a cover for the bike and we bought a an alarm disc lock that we put on the bike. Mm. And did you keep using that? Oh, yes. We use them all the time now. All the it, time. It would be amazing. You'd put the cover on the alarm disc and we'd head off up to our room and we'd get maybe five steps up the steps and then we'd hear the alarm going off. <laughs> Uh, it's people wanting to have a look uh, in some countries more than others. Katrina, you mentioned about having to get the carnet for the new bike. There was a mm. problem with your carnet, wasn't there? When I, I don't know if it was when you first went to use it or oh. how did that work out? 
Yeah, it was the f- going from Timor-Leste into Indonesia and we'd handed over the carnet and they stamped it and said, yep, off you go and we're just about to ride off and the official come running out. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. And the problem, 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 and the issue date and the expiry date were exactly the same. Mm. They just forgot to put the twelve months on. Yeah, we is clearly an oversight by us. We we didn't see that little finite detail. Uh, but yeah, the customs or immigration guy there at the little border post uh, between Timor Leste and Indonesia, yeah, he picked up on it. He really did, and. Um, so it was a bit of head scratching there for five minutes and I said, oh, and, you know, we, we just explained as best we could um, that, well, it was AAA back here in Australia. They, they made the mistake. They put down the wrong date and he, he just said, oh, well, you fix, you fix. Make sure you fix this up. And I said, yeah, yeah, we made a solemn pro- promise and we, we contacted AAA back in Australia and, and yeah, we, we had, they were very apologetic and they had a new one made up and it just – just by sheer chance, there was some friends of friends coming over to Bali and we organised to meet up with them and, and we got the new carne. Bali being the big tourist destination for, for many people, mm. you guys didn't like it. No, no, it's no, it's it's the polar opposite of what we're interested in, but you've got no choice to go through. Look, to be fair, there are places in Bali you can get away from all that, you know, tourist, that, you know, that part of, Bali that a lot of people go to, you can get away from that, uh, more or less. Um, and now a few days there, yeah, I guess we enjoyed it. You know, we went up the north and uh, we picked up our new carne and then we crossed over to uh, to Java, Java, which 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 is quite a shock. Things start to go a little crazy in Java. I, I don't how know do how mean? many people. Oh, just the population, Jim. It's um, it's 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 intense, really quite intense. Um, I think Indonesia is pushing up to 250 million or something. Um, yeah, it's a lot of people. And uh, and on J- Java would be the most densely densely populated, populated island for sure. Uh, I, I, I'd only be guessing, Jim, I don't know, 100 million people on Java. Wow. Um, it, it's okay. I mean, it, when you're driving through there, but you've got to have your wits about you. You just you just go with the flow. Literally go with the flow. Don't, don't fight it. Just go with it. <laughs> and... And yeah, no, it, it was good. It was fine. Is this where you you did the seventeen hour ferry ride? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From yeah, yeah. Java to Kalimantan, uh, up to Borneo, Kalimantan. To Borneo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was an interesting ferry. That yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Tell tell that story. <laughs> I'm curious to hear this. Well, there's there's a few aspects to it. Um, actually, as we were boarding the ferry, the local. Uh, what port official, he said, oh, you come with me. And I said, oh, why is that? We're going to the police. Said, hey, what's this all about? Um, to try to stop theft of motorcycles, we learnt later, you, you more or less, how would you explain it, Katrina, you, between the different provinces of Indonesia? Yeah, the, the police um, check the registration and make sure that you're the owner of, of the bike, even on the little ferries that cross from island to island. So normally... Because this was going from Java to Kalimantan, there was a guy there who goes, oh, you need to get permission from the police. Yeah, permission. Yeah. But he didn't realise that our bike was foreign registered. He, he, thought, he thought that the same rule applied to us. He, he thought the local Indonesian rule of getting permission to move the motorbike from one island to another applied to us. Oh. Um, and it, we were just confused. Like, What's this police all about? 
And when the police saw us, he just gave us a wave, said, no, 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 you go, you go. So, so okay, that's fine. We're onto the ferry. But, um, yeah, it's really, it's dog eat dog. <laughs> the ferry <laughs> it's, itself. It's, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it's, it's like karaoke. Oh, that's right. 48 hours nonstop with the loudest music <laughs> playing the whole time. When you first get on, it's relatively clean. But as time wears by, um, it's not. People people just throw their rubbish everywhere. Everybody's smoking clove cigarettes. If you're not a smoker, <laughs> so look, it's just a, it's just a, another experience. I, I don't. Some people might enjoy that. I, I'm not sure we do. Um, you know. So, uh, but that got us up onto Borneo, which which was which was a great choice, really. Because uh, the problem everybody has when they're going through that part of the world is crossing the Malacca Strait, and that is um, over to the Malay Peninsula. Mm. And um, but actually crossing it is quite difficult. It's problematic. There's there's regular ferries, but they're not they're not vehicle ferries. With the introduction of cheap air f- flights, that those regular ferries that took cars and passengers um, stopped operating because they weren't viable because the f- people could take the flights cheaper. So a lot of people go to Sumatra and they would get on the vegetable boat or onion boat with Mr. Lim. There was one or two passenger ferries that if your bike wasn't too big and you could get it through a normal doorway, they would you'd be the last one to to board and your bike would be put basically in a passageway so no one could go through. But from Borneo, there is a Roro that ships vehicles across from Malay Borneo to KL, but there's also um, a flight that you can through MAS, Malaysian Airline Services. But there was also the attraction, I guess, to get to Borneo and see a, a part of the world not a lot of people see. And we knew um, the traffic conditions were a lot more relaxed, and they were, they were. So it, it was just. Um, it was just uh, that seven, either seventeen hours or twenty hours or something. Uh, it was well worth doing to get over to Borneo, and we thoroughly enjoyed that. I think we were there for nearly two months. And where'd you go from there? Well, then we <clears throat> then you have to get across to um, Asia proper or over to KL. KL is the normal port, so um, you got to cross that expanse of water. And there's a company called Giga Shipping, and we were planning to put the bike on one of their, it's a Roro, although you can't go with the bike. And they have a pretty regular service from both Kuching and Kota Kinabalu, which are on Borneo, across to Port Klang. But it was coming up to Christmas um, 17 and the schedule just kept getting pushed out, pushed out. And I'm actually a retired ship's engineer, so I know how shipping schedules can get changed. And I understood it and it kept, kept on getting changed. So we're losing weeks um, and we had to get the bike across because we had a deadline to get into Thailand. They were introducing the, the new permit system into Thailand. So we cut our losses and we paid about twice as much to go with MAS, um, Malaysian Air Service, their freight um, freight arm, and we flew the bike from Kota Kinabalu to into KL, Kuala Lumpur, which actually was a really good surface. It was well organised. Um, the, the extra cost was worth it. Um, 
So we, we weren't disappointed with that at all. But it cut our time down on the Malay Peninsula and we had to go fairly quickly to get into Thailand at that point. This, this is all because of visas? No. What had happened in Thailand, um, they'd int- they were just on the cusp of introducing a, a system. Oh, was it a permit? It's yeah, a permit. Had, there was a first a permit and within months after, this is uh, as a foreigner with a foreign registered vehicle. vehicle, could have been a car or a bike, it doesn't matter. And then within months, they were going to bring in a system you had to be guided through by a local guide. Now, this was new to everybody. It was new to the police. Yeah, yeah. It was new to us overlanders. Nobody knew how it was going to be implemented. And I think if I remember correctly, it was March the 1st. If you didn't get in before March the 1st, then you would have to have a guide. Mm. And the whole process of getting the permit, I think, was 400. We we paid for two permits because the permits had a maximum of fifteen days. Yeah, how, you, how could, much were they? Four hundred dollars. Two hundred dollars each. Two hundred dollars each. Um, yeah. So we got in the day or two days before the guide system was to be introduced. Uh, we we didn't want to go with a guide. I mean, that's just just not what we do. And not to mention the expense. I mean, if if it's 200 for a permit for 15 days, what's the guide going to cost? Yeah, well, that's right. That's right. Um, Look, as it transpired, Jim, yeah, some people did use guides, but the whole system fell apart fairly quickly because we didn't know that as during this introductory period. Um, Also, by now, we'd sort of lined up our Myanmar crossing. That takes quite some organising. Uh, and dates were set, guides were arranged. That that country, you do need guides. There's just simply no way of getting around it. And I can't remember the date. What was 10th of March. 10th of March. There you go. So we had 10 days in, in Thailand. Um, by the 10th of March, we had to be on the uh, at May Sot on the Thailand-Myanmar border. Uh, for our, our, We had a 10-day crossing of Myanmar. And once you lock that in, that's it. You're locked in. There was a group of us, uh, I don't know, about six, I think six people. Six bikes, seven people. Six bikes, seven people. Locked in on the date, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on the 10th of March for a 10-day crossing of Myanmar. Uh, so that only gave us 10 days in Thailand, which which was a shame, but um, it's just the way it is. You've got, you got to expect that something's going to go wrong on your scheduling or plan and mm-hmm. it's the old plan A, B, C, you, you got to have a couple of couple of options in line. So, and then, then we're off into Myanmar. You mentioned that you guys both lost a lot of weight in, in this <laughs> section. What was that from? Yeah, look, it's... Well, <laughs> <laughs> initially it was just because it, it's hot, stinking hot weather. You're drinking loads of water. You're not eating like you do at home. We would typically have breakfast and then maybe a snack at lunchtime and then our meal. Um, Graham got his first bout. I, I got a severe... Um, oh, food poisoning. Food, food poisoning, absolutely. In Myanmar. Oh, it was a shocker. It, it was, I've had some bad ones, but it, it was probably the worst. Uh, look, it's just all the usual stuff. It's the exertion of riding through Asia. You're not eating the same food as you are at home. Um yeah, you just lose a lot of weight. We we usually cut down, as soon as we're on the road, we're usually down to two meals a day. And we it seems to work quite well with us. And I don't think we're unique in that regard. A lot of other travellers 
tend to do the same. You'll have a morning meal and you'll have an evening meal. Uh, that's all. Is that just for simplicity reasons? Yeah, I guess so. It, it just works easier. Um, you're not worrying about You might have a little snack along the way. Sure, you might. Uh, but you, we typically typically have two meals a day. But uh, it quickly starts coming off. Oh, look, that year we had in the States back in 83, 84, uh, lost, as, soon as, as soon as we travel, we lose weight. Uh, we did back then as well. I wouldn't call us, you know, obese or anything, but uh, we could do with losing a few kilos. But 30, I was shocked. I was really quite shocked. And people yeah. were making comment on, on our Facebook and that, geez, Graham, you, you look ill. Well, <laughs> that's not good, is it? <laughs> it? It was being noticed. I said, "Yeah, I've lost a bit of weight." Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you you did mention though that you were like so at this point. I mean, we you know we talked about the weight loss, and and that, that sort of says that you're getting a little run down. You said at the end you you were tired. Talk about that. Oh, like, absolutely. Oh, I was just exhausted. Yeah, look, I was I was totally exhausted. <laughs> look, that bike we when we're all packed up, and mind you, we pack less than nearly everybody. We've been doing this a long time and Katrina has one saddlebag. I have one saddlebag. We've got a top, we've got a tank bag with um, uh, camera gear in it. I, I do carry a bit of camera gear um, and a top box. Now that's it. There's no bags on top of bags or any of that. So our, our luggage is down to a minimum. Nonetheless, with both us two on the bike, and the bike itself bare is 230 kilos or something. Anyway, we're pushing upwards of 450, 500 kilos. So when you're traveling at altitude in the Himalayas for weeks, if not months on end, you know, you're constantly over 10,000 feet and you've got this heavy bike and your food and your calorie intake is not what it should be or could be. Um, you're, you're exhausted. Um, you've got days and weeks on end over 35, if not 40 degrees, yeah, quickly the weight sheds off you and you're just, you're just exhausted. On top of that, you've got the constant headache of working out all the logistics, all the, uh, all the paperwork, all the visas. Um, you know, we ended up going through the stands and back then when you went through the stands, it, now it's not so difficult in so much it's all e-visas. But back then you had to do a lot of coordinating to get line up all your visas. So you put one on top of another and at the end of it, after 16 months or something, yeah, we, we were exhausted physically and uh, mentally exhausted. So Stressing we to make break. all the times match up and make sure you're the right place, the right time, all of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, um, yeah, there's a lot to think about, but that's where being two of us, it, it worked really well. You know, we both have our strengths. So we work to our strengths. Katrina does a lot of that. Um, she takes care of a lot of the admin, if you like. Um, oh, I do a little bit. Yeah, sure I do. But Katrina does the vast majority of that. So that takes sharing the load makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. But no, no, we were exhausted, absolutely exhausted um, by the time we got to Greece 16 months later. So was that the plan to get to Greece and then leave the bike and go home? Or did you do that because you were exhausted? I don't know if we ever really talked about it. Um, I, th I think that was the loose plan. I think that was the expectation. And by the time we were halfway into it, we realised that we would have to take a break. Having spent so much time in Europe previously, we knew the winters are pretty hard. They really are. Um, we thought, well, we don't want to be in Europe with a motorbike during their winter. Um, okay, we'll park it up and we'll, we'll go home. Um, initially 
we, like I said at the start, we never really had a plan. But by the time we were going through India, China, onto the stands, we we're starting to realise that no, we'd have to park the bike up and, and uh, for at least a couple of months and go home and have a break. Mm-hmm. How'd you find a place to leave the bike? Well, Katrina could probably explain that better than me. Yeah, the first place we, we it was a young Greek couple and they'd been travelling not on a motorcycle, although he would have liked to have done his travelling on a motorcycle. Hmm. And I think Graham posted something on Horizons Unlimited and he followed Horizons Unlimited. So he said, well, you can leave your bike at our place. It turned out it was his parents' place. <laughs> no, no, it was great. But, it was great. But it was, it was brilliant. They, they were brilliant. Um, and we're still friends with them. They've since um, had a couple of children. They did South America while we were travelling through Europe, come home and had a couple of children. And I'm still in contact with both Nico and Georgia and also their, their parents. So nice. we left it there for three months, locked the- up in their garage. So it was really good. This is where we've had the opportunity, I suppose, Jim, is to compare our travels in 83, 84, you know, pre-internet and, and, and today. And you can make those contacts online uh, or through the forums, through the different chat groups and all that. So a lot of it comes out, you know, you make those contacts through there. Whereas back in the day when we were in North America, back in the early 80s, no, of course, none of that existed. But anyway. Yeah, but how I, did I, you make contact I, back then with people? Yeah, you must have met people along the way, of course. Well, we did. It was just making physical contact. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, that was it. Just making physical contact. That was it. And actually, with travelling the US on a Harley, we were changing the oils. So we were going to the Harley dealerships to buy the, the parts. Oh, right. And then you you meet other it's Harley just, riders and or if you – camped up somewhere and they're camped up there, then you meet them. I think that first year in 83, 84, when we got back, I sent 35 Christmas cards to the people that we'd either met or stayed with during oh, that nice. 83, 84 year. Nice. So Back in the days where people actually got Christmas cards, of course, that doesn't happen yeah. anymore. Now you get an yes. email with some little graphic yeah. that jumps up and down. <laughs> that's the difference but I mean yeah. it is interesting as you're mentioning Graham that like the difference between the two it's not like the old system didn't work or that this system no. works better it's just different I think the one thing though that kind of came to mind when you were saying that is I think the one thing is with, with nowadays is that people come to you in a way they never did before you know because if it was before you'd bump into someone uh, you know you might be referred from one person to another person but now it's like you're posting publicly and it's almost like you're advertising this is us yeah. and, and this is where we're going and then someone can say hey you're coming to my neighborhood you know why don't you stop by here yeah. I'd love to talk to you well I, I think you got to apply that as well back then but now it's just amplified mm. it's just amplified um, we were meeting people back in 83 and it just blew them away and say, oh, dang, you know, it's just <laughs> like a cowboy. I mean, what are you guys doing? And we told them, it's, oh, wow, you know, you're going to have to come home and stay the night and all, all the rest of it, which was just wonderful. Really was. Yeah. Um, but now, yeah, look, we, we don't, as you may or may not know, we don't have a great online presence. It's, it's not what we do. We do have the blog. Um, but I see that as our diary. I really do. We, we've got a bookshelf here and it's stacked full of diaries every time we travel. 
And when we set out this time, and it was the bane of my life, I've got to say, that diary, I used to look at that and just scowl it off. <laughs> I've gone three days and I've got to fill that damn thing in, you know. So I'd pick it up and and I thought there's got to be a better way. So when we set out in sixteen, thought all right, okay, let's let's um, let's start a blog and all that. So we did, and I just I honestly see it as a diary, uh, and and I download it and put it on a hard drive to keep it, and for, it'll probably get lost in the midst of time. I, I don't know. And that's pretty much the extent of our online presence. Although there are, you know, we're on different chat groups and that, and we contribute a little bit if people want some advice and and so forth. And then you, you sort of get known a little bit, and, and you just meet people that way, which which is great. And that that is far and away the best part of the whole travel experience is meeting the local people, um, meeting the lo- local people. That's that's what we enjoy the most. That diary that you said you, you look at and you sort of cringe and you thought you had to fill it out again. Isn't that kind of yeah. neat though when you pull it off the shelf now? I mean, it's your, it's your handwriting. Yes, it is. Yeah, you, you're right there. And that's the payback. Um, that hard work, well, it's not hard work, but you know, that commitment that you put in all those years ago to write. Uh, and at the, to- at the time, you thought, oh, God, here we go again. But you're right. You take it off the shelf and um, even our boys, they've, they've t- oh, yeah, this is when mum and dad travelled here or there or whenever uh, and they get a little bit of enjoyment out of it. But we do too. Uh, so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But I- this, this time we, we decided, yeah, we'll do a little blog. And, and, but I can put the photos into it, which is something I've always enjoyed, is the photography. So that's a dimension that you can't do with, with a diary, is adding the photos. That's true. And the other thing I was just thinking of is that you did mention that your, your boys have picked up your diary and looked at it. And that's great because I think most times it'll sit on the shelf until after you're gone and they might look at it and go, yeah, that's their trip. We'll have to look at that one day. <laughs> Whereas at least now when you put it online, at least there's people who are actually interested. Maybe they're going to do their own yeah. trip. Maybe they just like to follow it, but people will get enjoyment yeah. from, from reading about your adventures. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, it is. It is. So actually I, I quite enjoy the little interactions sometimes. Um, uh, that we have on the blog. Some people don't like it, um, but yeah, I quite enjoy that. And and from time to time, not often, but you do get to meet some of these people. You said you're roughly halfway on your round the world trip. This is a round the world trip, correct? We think so. Yeah, we think so. <laughs> what what is a round the world trip? Ah, now that's that's interesting, isn't it? Just a quick break. I have one thing I want to mention to you. Stay with us. We'll be back with a lot more fun. Lately, I've been a little frustrated with can openers. <laughs> Get this. They often work like only for a very short time or they, or they don't work at all. So the other day I spotted this one on the shelf and it looked like a high quality can opener. I mean, it you know had a nice big handle on it. I like the ergonomics of it. It it felt good when I when I tried it there. The package looked good. So I snapped it off the shelf and took it home. Unwrapped it, and as you might imagine, it was a piece of junk. It, it, you know, as soon as it it's put to the test, it fails miserably. It's a lesson I already know, but I had to learn again. Just because something looks good doesn't mean that it is any good. And that certainly goes for foot pegs on your motorcycle. There's a lot of cheap knockoffs and things out there, but you need to choose something that has a company behind it with a reputation. IMS Products has been around since way back in 1976. 
And a good part of their business is supplying products to racers. Racers only care about winning. They need products that are unbelievably tough and super, super reliable. IMS Products puts that reliability into their complete line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs for us. They're warrantied for life. They're made in the USA. Get the real deal. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. You said you're roughly halfway on your round-the-world trip. This is a round-the-world trip, correct? We think so, yeah. We think so. <laughs> what, what is a round-the-world trip? Ah, now that's, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I did read a little uh, comment made by Grant Johnson once, and I guess we all know who Grant is, and he's saying 600 people in his estimation have ridden around the world now, I'm not sure what the definition is. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's very dependent on where you start. I guess you've got to end up and finish where you started from. Um, but, look, we're, we're planning to do a couple of years in the Americas now. Um, um, the intention all along pre-COVID was um, once we returned to the bike in uh, Bulgaria, the plan was in early 2020, we were going to go east. We were going to go Ukraine, Russia, South Korea, Japan, and across to America. Mm. But, of course, that all fell apart on, on many, many fronts, let alone, you know, this 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 horrible war that started in the last 12 months or so. Yeah. Of course, COVID hit. Um, but then the ferry service from uh, Vladivostok to Busan, it, it's not been running now for some years. Um, it became impossible to go that way. Um, and I've still got, I've, I really have an ambition to get to Japan, but we're getting further and further away from there. So I, I just don't know how we're going to do that. We had um, this discussion about the around the world and what, what is it? Grant, I think one of Grant's requirements is he thinks you have to cross the equator twice. And I think many agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've done it once already at uh, Pontianak in, uh, in Borneo. Um, yeah, that's certainly the yachties when the yachties go around the world. You, of course, you can only do it in the Southern Hemisphere, but you have to reach up and pass over the equator, then back down into oh, the Southern Hemisphere. Oh, is that right? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Okay, so it comes to, may, may yeah. come from that. Well, could do, could do. But, I mean, I think it's just the uh, thought process of how you wrap around the world, but it's interesting to think, like, you know, what is the round-the-world trip? And I was sort of picturing, we're wondering what you guys pictured as, as your route that would make it around the world. Is it, is it just starting and sort of going around the globe no matter how you do it and coming back to the same spot? Yeah, look, we, we don't really have um, any – some people have a goal. They want to do every country or they want to do 100 countries. Or want to, we, we don't have any of that. We, we, just, we just do it on a whim more or less, although it's a very organised whim. Um, you know, this year coming up, we've got four months in North America. Um, of the four previous times we've been to North America, we've never been to Alaska. So we're going to make our way up to Alaska and, and then – we could come home, you know, ship it out of Long Beach or somewhere at the end of this year. But no, I think we'd both be very disappointed if we don't get down to, to South America. Um, so South America will come next year. Uh, and from there, we don't know. We really don't know. Uh, it's either ship it home from Santiago or Valparaiso, I think it is, or we go to Africa and we head up the West Coast. The East Coast is kind of out of the question nowadays. Um, but that's just too far away. And I think 
going from either direction. I think after what we've done would count as around the world. I'm sure it would. Mm-hmm. I, I would argue it would yeah, anyway. Yeah, you, you'll get your T-shirt. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From but like I said, we, 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 we don't go looking ticking those boxes. We, we're just, yeah, that's just not what we do. It really isn't. Um, I think, think as time goes on, we're getting slower. We're spending more, less time on the road, more time at home. And if to keep going, we have to split our time up more evenly. And, uh, you know, if we do another three or four years, it will be at least six months at home and six months on the road. Why is that? Oh, you just can't keep the pace up. We can't. It, it gets to be too much. Mm-hmm. So so we're to, to enjoy it more, we have to go slower, if that's even possible. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you load up this motorcycle, the two of you get on it, and you're riding through all these countries, crossing borders, taking ferries, passing through all kinds of places. Why? Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's something in us. It's a bit of wonderlust. We've always done it, even as kids. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's not just us. It's kind of an Australian thing. You go anywhere in Australia, you, you'll find Aussies. They're everywhere. We just got this travel bug. It's it's in our DNA. I, I can't explain it any more than well, that. It's just I like really a disease can't. Australians have. That's, that's, that's you, can't, you can't get off with just that. <laughs> yeah, you, you well, get, what are you getting from it? What is it that, that gets you up in the morning and say, you know, it makes you uh, say, hey, let's go, let's get on the bike again. I I I do like to be always learning something new. I like to be meeting new people. Uh, I, I I get very stale very quickly if I'm just sat around in the same situation. You know month after month, year after year. I have to be, I have to be exploring and, and by exploring, I'm not talking about climbing the top of Mount Everest. I'm just exploring different cultures, different people, trying to learn different things, trying to understand where, and the more you learn, the more you realize just how similar everybody around the world is. There's very little differences between people. I, I think, I think when you fly into somewhere, like you fly to London or whatever, then you're you're at the mercy of what you can get public public transport or hire a vehicle. Whereas if you're going to these places and you have your own vehicle, whether it be a motorcycle or a car or some of the people go by trucks, you have the freedom of changing your your destination or your route whenever you want. Um, because when you travel that way, you don't tend to plan so much you know I've got to be London for five days then Scotland for four days whereas when you're on a motorcycle you can say well actually you really like it here why don't we stay a week instead of two days mm-hmm. so it gives you that extra freedom and when you're also on your own vehicle you're actually getting to meet the locals whereas when you're just flying in and flying out and you're just visiting the tourist spots you're mingling with other tourists. You're not mingling with the locals. And I think that's a big difference about the way we travel. We're actually mingling more with the locals as opposed to other travellers or tourists. Mm-hmm. So it's a different mind thought, I think. I don't know. You've got to be a certain type of person to do. It's just not it's not for everybody what we do. So there's just something in our, in our makeup that we, we enjoy, uh, you know, just that experience of going to a place that 
it's not familiar with you with what you you know what you've been familiar with for your whole life and you've got to have that small challenge of working out well how does this work you know i don't know it's just the whole the whole aspect is is a learning experience but when you say it's not for everyone what is yeah. it about it that you think some people would not like oh it it all the logistics that the people don't understand that there was i think there's a bit of a common belief when even our close friends they see you know photos on our facebook or whatever it might be there's just one big holiday well yeah it's kind of nothing like that whatsoever <laughs> they don't see what goes in behind the scenes to make it all work they really don't um and it it takes a lot of effort and if you haven't got the ability to look after that fine that detail to work out how to what permits you need you know what licenses you need what visas how you get the visas um you know if you haven't got the ability or the interest to do that you know you're going to be turned off by pretty quickly um but we 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 uh we don't we don't have a trouble we don't have any problem with that whatsoever so you know you you got to have the right attitude to to start out on something like this it's kind of like a job in a way yeah, it becomes quite full time, um, depending on where you are. You know, of course, very dependent on where you are. You go into these, you know, Central Asia and places, and, you know, or countries where you have to have the uh, have to be guided through the country. And there's only two, I think, isn't it? Myanmar and China, the only two. Of course, we've done both of them. You know, it takes a lot of organising, and we've met a lot of people who, along the way, have said, "Oh, I'll work it out when I get there." Well. Hey, dude, I mean, if you work it out now, it's going to be a lot easier when you get there. Um, okay, if it works for you to do it that way, fine, go ahead. But we don't, we, we like to be quite a bit more organised than that. Mm-hmm. We do. Well, we like to have the knowledge. Yeah. Make sure that we have <clears throat> the knowledge of what's required. Mm. So, and also have plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, just in case something does go pear shaped. <laughs> yeah. But not overly, though. No, no, not no. at all. No, because no. Of the way you guys have described it, it sounds like you know you're used to sort of things sort of being turned upside down on you. Yeah, no, we 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 do like to have the the, the actual logistics of it worked out. I don't want to get to a place and go, oh, how are we going to do this? Um, which seems to me how some people work. No, I want to get to a place and know how to do it, how to get across that border. You know, for example, when we got to China, we had, it's only a three night, four day. And we knew from previous people that went through that actually getting processed at Tashkurgan, which is once you pass over the Kundrab Pass from Pakistan into China, which used to be a, a couple of hours affair or overnight, it was probably going to take a couple of days. And it did. It took a couple of days, but the guys who were going with us had no expectation of that. And they got actually quite angry about it because they saw that they were losing time, losing days. Now, we expected that this was going to happen, but that was an example of their lack of knowledge. And with the internet, it's I, I don't see that there's an excuse for that. You should be able to find that out. And to say that they were annoyed a bit was a bit of an understatement. But yeah, we were annoyed too, but we expected it. Mm-hmm. We, we we sort of knew what the process w- might be. A year before, no, people were getting processed quite quickly. But when we went through, that became quite a problem, quite a problem. 
And I, I can't explain why. I don't know why. Everybody has their theories as to why. But that's we're not privy to that. We can only speculate. You're saying you're doing your due diligence really, you know, in advance. You you want to be organized about it. What do you guys find difficult on the road? Oh, from my aspect, sometimes it's getting accurate information. You read other people's blogs or experiences and you have to be careful that they're not overlooking some of the important data. As in, you know, yes, I got my China visa in Pakistan, but in re- reality, you can't. And they don't explain that. Oh, actually, and they I've don't got explain the embassy that. officials, yeah. my embassy officials involved. Yeah, look, that's to answer your question. I don't find anything difficult, and if there is a problem, um, we just deal with it. But that's what planning does. It tries to alleviate those problems. But I, I don't really find any of it difficult. Uh, at all. I quite enjoy the process, actually. And that comes back to what you were saying previously. Uh, a lot of people can't do, can't handle the process, so they would have a lot of problems doing what we and others do. But no, I, I don't find it, any of it difficult at all, actually. The, the most difficult bit is making the first step. Once you make the first step, everything just sort of falls in place. What's the first step? Well, making that decision to go to, to travel, stop thinking about it, just do it. Mm-hmm. We had a friend here recently and he's been talking for some years and I said, Simon, mate, just get on the bike and go, just go. And he's still talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll leave it at that because Simon <laughs> might be listening. <laughs> I, think, I think one of the important things to remember is that it, it's a ever-changing platform. So what was okay 12 months ago or six months ago, it may have changed by the time you're ready to do it. So you need to um, be aware of that. So, you know, if someone was able to get a transit visa, I don't know, I think Iran does transit visas now for seven days, but you can't. Well, I mean, it may be that they're no longer issuing those transit visas. You have to do it a different way. So you just need to keep abreast that things change. It's like the visas going through the stands, a lot of them are now e-visas, so you don't even actually have to attend uh, an embassy to get it. Which is is what we had to do. Which is what we had to do for a lot of them. Mm. So, you you know, there's a couple of websites that are really good for information, but they still rely on people's input. So you need to continue... Reading. Don't read two years ago how to go through the stands. You have to read. Start reading six months before you're there to work out is it still the same. What you know, there's borders that are closed now, but there are ways around it. But just because you can get into that particular country doesn't mean to say that you can still travel the Pamir Highway because that's a separate permit. So you 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 need to keep doing your research and keeping it as up-to-date as possible, not just relying on something that was 12 months ago, because it does change. And what you just said a minute ago as well is that you can't just trust every little thing you read. You've got to do your due diligence and, and, and fact check here. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. see if you can get some point of reference on the ground, whether it be, you know, 
um, a company that hires vehicles in that country, you can ask them, well, is it still possible to go here? You know, what's because they're more likely to know than the traveler that traveled 12 months ago. Mm. When somebody who, who's so. new or, or maybe wants to travel, maybe wants to travel more, do something different, more along the lines of what you guys are doing, and they ask you, what what sort of advice do you give them as far as like the the big thing that's going to to make this easier? Oh, it's that's a very open question, Jim. I think a lot of people, um, and, and I actually we're guilty of this when you go back to eighty three, eighty four. We were going to do so much, so much, and you quickly realise. Well, we did at least. It was in the scope. It was just too much. Um, there's a lot of people in Europe, for example, and they want to get over to the stands and they're only got four weeks or six weeks holiday. I'd say just pull back. Don't try to do so much. You're not going to enjoy it. Go down to Morocco. You know, you'll get a similar kind of experience, but you'll do it in a reasonable time frame. Um, okay, maybe I'm saying that from the luxury of having time to do things. And yes, I understand a lot of people don't have that time, but trying to do too much in too short a time, we find a lot of people are running short of one of three things. They haven't got enough time, they haven't got enough knowledge, and they haven't got enough money. Uh, Sadly, you do need money to do what we're doing, although you don't need as much as what a lot of people think. You really don't. Nonetheless, you do need money. Um, The money bit I can understand, all right, but the time and the knowledge you should be able to manage that much better. So I'd say get your knowledge level up to a point that you can make the travelling as smoothly as you can and try not to put too much in. Don't try and, you know, if you've got four weeks, yeah, don't head to the Pamirs, head down to the to Morocco or something, for, for example. Katrina? Yeah, I mean... It depends on how you want to how you want to travel. So, I mean, we had the luxury we didn't didn't need to come back for work. But even if you do have to come back for work, plan. You know, if you want to go on your own bike, you can do it in stages. So, find out where you can leave your bike or where you can leave your vehicle without too much hassle. Then you can fly in and fly out and do it in stages. It doesn't have to be, you know, do three thousand kilometres to get there. And then 3,000 kilometres to get back. You know, there's different ways that you can do your travelling. You don't have to do it in one one go. So. What are your best resources that, that you find for information for the stuff you're describing? Oh, gee, I don't know. Um, it's, it's all online, of course. Um, it's, it's first-hand knowledge, but then it's picking through that knowledge, first-hand knowledge. There's there's various websites. You know, Horizons Unlimited is pretty good. If you can type in, search search for different information, it can come back. Um, sometimes it can be a bit bit old, as in the years ago. Um, face, Facebook is pretty good as well because there's different groups for different areas, like crossing China. There's a, a China one. Um, there's also South American ones, Pan American travelers. So you just got to search and see what you can find and ask the questions. Um, some people will post stuff, 
and I'll think, oh, that's a nice bit of information. So then I'll either take a screenshot or jot it down or something, put it in the back burner for future reference. Um, and then you connect with other people um, because, that are like-minded travelling, whether they're travelling on a motorcycle. I've got a few that have done travelling in vehicles. But their information can still be valuable just because they're not on a bike doesn't mean to say their experience or information is not valuable. Oh, that's a good tip, yeah. Yeah, because they're still overlanders. They're still travelling between countries. Sure. They still have, still have to get the same visas and they still have to process through the borders. Um, they just have different issues, you know, when they want to ship their vehicles that's bigger and more expensive. and Just just go to the country, country in, you're intending on uh, – Traveling to and just going to their um, embassy's website, you know, as simple as that, uh, and you'll get a lot of what you need to know right there. Although Iran's interesting, you didn't know whether it, we didn't know whether Katrina had to have a veil on or a veil off for a photograph for the Iranian visa. And right up until the point of having the interview with the embassy official, <laughs> we still didn't know. So what did you do? And, uh, well, well, they actually took a photo of me with a veil, with a scarf. Yeah, uh, yeah. But that yeah. was an example of conflicting information. Oh, when I went through, it was this. And somebody else said, well, when I went through, it was that. And, and you really don't know. And then also you're at the mercy of whoever is control of that. Like the ambassador where we were, he preferred the women to have the headscarf on. But on the official website, it says it's not necessary if you're a Western person. Uh, so... You're still subject to interpretation, the, the individual's requirements. Right. And what do you do with that information when you come across something like that and you find it not to be true? Maybe not so much in that case, because like you're saying, it's a preference for one person. Do you go back and try and correct it? Do repost to um, somebody and say, hey, that's not correct? No, not really. We just make sure that we put our information on, on our blog or if someone asks us what was the process for you, we explain well. This is how what it was for us. Mm. I um, I well, we both do actually, but I can only talk from my perspective. I do try to offer uh, information and advice as we've learned as we're going along the way. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, G Jim. I've had a lot of pushback, or a lot of people say, "Oh, how would you know?" or, or something, some negative comment. And I'm getting to the stage now that I, I'm quite reluctant to offer information. Um, somebody will have an opinion, but that's all they got is, is an opinion. And um, I'm, we're not, we don't have a big internet presence anyway. And I'm, I am getting to the stage that I thought, you know what, Graham, it's just not worth the effort. There are some people who are very appreciative. There's no doubt about that. But the mm -hmm. negativity that you do get online just turns me away. And um, so I really think twice about whether I'm going to offer some advice, whatever that advice may be, whether it be about some uh, technical point of approaching a border or whatever it might be, or just information about the, uh, the information I've gained about the motorcycle I'm riding. And I have gained a lot of information and I come from a mechanical background. So I, I do know what I'm talking about. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm getting to the stage that I, I just don't bother anymore. See, that's a real shame because I think everybody suffers for that, you know, and, and it's unfortunate. I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I, I totally get that. And I'm sure there's yeah. many, many others doing the same thing. Uh, but yeah. it's a shame. It is because um, it really people miss is. Out. I agree. Yes, I do. And it's because of that I do, when I see the opportunity is right, I will offer some advice. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I do, I do, but I do think long and hard whether I'm wasting my time. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's one of the negative sides of, uh, there's a lot of positive sides to the internet and what it has to offer and the information it's gained. But of course we all know there is a, there is a downside and a negative side as well. You said something earlier that that intrigued me. I wanted to ask you about, and that was, you said you pack less than most people. And of course, as you know, this is is something that's very difficult for everyone. Even experienced travelers (laughs) have trouble with it. What's the secret? Give me that five word answer that I know doesn't exist. (laughs) The secret to packing less. Um, I don't know, Katrina. Um, pack your bag, unpack it, throw half of it out, and then pack it again. I, I, look, honestly, you can do with so little. You really can. Um, yeah, got to understand, we've been doing it for now more than 40 years. Um, like I said, Katrina has one saddlebag. I have another. That's it. The top box has got camping gear in it. Um, that's it. You just don't need much. Uh, there's a well-known traveller. I won't say who it was. And I said, what are you carrying? And they said, well, I've got four pairs of jeans. And I said, no, why? Um, we have one pair of light trousers each, one pair of shorts, um, three or four pairs of underwear that regularly get washed in the sink when we get to, <laughs> get to our accommodation, um, light pair of shoes. you just got to cut back. You don't need it. Um, and that's it. I don't know. Can you think of anything else, Katrina? Yeah, you just take your basics. It's, yeah. I probably have a little bit more clothing than you. I've got a few extra undies and bras that you don't need. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, because you're riding in your bike gear, you know. Most of the time you're in your bike gear. Um, You just need something to put on when you're not riding. So the less you have, less choices, um, the better, because you say, okay, well, when we get off, I'm putting that pair of shorts on or that pair of trousers on and a clean T-shirt. That's it. Yeah, you do. Look, there are there are some practical things that do make a big difference. We're very fortunate here in Australia. We've got a good selection of merino underwear. Mm-hmm. Um, don't don't wear T-shirts. Wear light cotton shirts. Um, yeah, everybody has a T-shirt. Of course we do. But merino. Um, Sorry, you said yeah, cotton have- shirt? Yeah, a light cotton shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, a, they're lighter. They pack smaller. They usually got a pocket. They look better when you go out. So I'll have two light cotton shirts. I'll have one, maybe two t-shirts, but probably one. Sorry, hang on. I'm having trouble with the t-shirt and the cotton shirt. The difference between the two. Oh, well, it's a button-up. Just a button-up shirt. Oh, I see what you're talking about. Right. Just a button-up shirt. Um, they're a lot more practical. They're lighter. They wash quicker. They dry quicker. Um, they, they look better if you go out in the evening. They're just a lot more practical than a T-shirt. You know, three of those light button-up cotton shirts would weigh and pack to the same space as one T-shirt. The merino um, underwear that we, we have pretty good access here is light. You can wear it for days and days and doesn't smell. It keeps you warm. Um, in the hot, it it's uh, in the hot weather. Well, you it, typically it won't wicks. wear it, but it wicks, wicks the sweat away from you. Um, we'll, we've got light puffer down jackets that pack down into a small um, small bag. Um, you can wear that under your jacket and keep you warm and you can use it to go out at night as well. 
okay, it doesn't look flash, but it's, it'll it'll serve its purpose. And it does come back to that, um, you know, whatever you take, if it doesn't serve two purposes, well, you probably shouldn't be taking it. Um, mm-hmm. So, look, we we are very minimalist, but we don't feel like we miss out on anything, nothing at all. I carry a good stock of tools, spares, all that sort of stuff, and all of it put together, it's actually quite light um, or relatively for the tools. Katrina, when you're packing, how do you stop yourself from thinking, well, I might need this? Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, I guess I just think, well, when was the last time I actually wore that? Mm. Pretty much everything you know, is available on the road. Doesn't it, matter where you are. Yeah, if if you if you need something, you can probably buy something that will do. You know, like I guess it, you know women tend to be a little bit more fashionable, but I'm not a particular fashion fashionista by any means. Um, I'll have one pair of long pants, one pair of shorts, just like Blaine said. Um, I'll probably have. A couple more. I use lighter leggings. I wear the leggings under the bike gear, with summer or winter, because um, I find the bike gear sticks to me. I sweat too much, so I use the merino in the winter and the summer. But I've got a light light set. Mm-hmm. Um, but the lighter they are, as in the merino, the easier it is to hand wash and dry. So you can usually do that overnight when you're staying somewhere. Whereas the cotton t-shirts. They take more than that to dry. So you got to look at the practical side. Are there, are there some um, things that you guys see other people traveling with where you you know that that's just a, a bunch of bulk that takes up too much time, too much room, rather? We, we see it all the time, Jim, but I, I, I don't comment. Well, I try not to. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying yeah. like that information. So in other words, you say, you know, one thing we see people with all the time is they take this with them and, and we don't think we need it. Well, I think the biggest difference is we're two up. So if you're two up, you have limited space. Whereas if you're solo, you have a bit more real estate that you can pack stuff. I mean, Grain said that we're carrying, we've we've got our tent, we've got sleeping bags, we have the um, sleeping mats, we have two chairs. We started off with cooker, but we find that we don't cook. Um, and we have a first aid kit. So we've got the the necessities. Mm-hmm. We just don't have some of the extras that people mm. would have. Like food, for argument, we don't carry much food. We, 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 we just don't have the space to carry any food, um, you know. So I don't know. It just comes with practice um, and people think they need a lot of gear, but they, you don't. You really don't. And And – we're not precious, not by any stretch of the imagination. We can wear the same old clothes day in and day out, as long as they don't get too smelly. And we've got a second change, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. And we just give it a wash and change over and then keep on going. Well, as you mentioned, this one of the things with merino wool is it's fantastic for that. It's, uh, it it yep. doesn't stink. It's got natural lanolins in it that that um, kill the bacteria before it gets growing. So it, it outdoes any, any of the synthetic uh, stuff that you get, I think. Yeah, the merino is head and shoulders above all the yeah, synthetics. Yeah. There might be something out there that I'm not aware of, and of course there could be something come along. But for us, it really works. Um, it, it's it's far better than any of the synthetics. So, um, and of course, you know, um, quality does cost. It costs a lot of money sometimes to buy this stuff, 
And I, I get that, you know, um, you know, those really nice tents that pack right down and they're, you know, they take them to the base camp at Everest or something. They cost a lot of money, but they are great. They're quality. And uh, whether it be the tent or the sleeping bag or the down jackets, all this stuff costs money. Um, and, and they are not that we're wealthy people by any stretch of the imagination, but um, we'd like to have some nice gear. Um, it does cost a bit of money, but you do get the advantage. It will last, and normally it's a lot smaller. Um, mm-hmm. But but we're pretty minimalistic anyway. We, we can do without. We really can. But I do shake my head when I look at some of these bikes and, oh, wow, okay, cool, right. <laughs> it's, so, uh, yeah, we all love those photos, don't we? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Look, if we were two up, um, if, if we were each on our own bike, we certainly wouldn't be on a bike that we're on at the moment. As good as it is, it's too heavy. Um, we'd be on much smaller bikes for sure. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we're, we're riding two up, so we, you, you're more or less dictated to go to a larger bike. All of them. So there's no getting around that one unless you're a masochist and you want to get around on a little 250 together. And some people do that, but that's not for us. It's also the cost factor too. It was less expensive for us to be two up because you have one carnet, hmm. one one lot of expenses for your registration and fuel, whereas as soon as you add a second bike, you've doubled that expense. Your food in that doesn't change. But the expenses in regard to fuel and carnet and your registrations and stuff, you've you've doubled that. So you have to weigh up what's going to work for for you or for you and your partner, mm. and some up for two bikes and some up for just one. So it's an interesting proposition, isn't it? When you think about it, the two bikes where you've got double the fuel, but you also have a bike that if one breaks down, the other bike is there potentially to get you help. But on the other hand, you double your chance of a breakdown by having two bikes. <laughs> well, two bikes right. may be safer because you have another person there if something goes wrong with your bike, but potentially you've doubled your potential for an accident by having two bikes. So it's yeah. it's interesting. It depends on how you look at it. Yeah, Exactly. And if you've got two bikes and you've got all your gear and then you're only down to one bike, how do you fit all that gear on one bike? Oh, yeah. That's right. Look, it's, so, it, it's whatever works for for the couple, you know. Um, some people want to be on two. Some want to be on, you know, for us it's one. Um, but if I was solo, I wouldn't be on this bike. I'd be on a much smaller bike, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But we're not solo. So, yeah. Um, yeah, well, so, as, yeah. as Sam Mercom always says, you know, it's the great thing about this, this whole motorcycle thing is that everybody can do what they want. You know, there's so exactly. many, so yeah. much variety exactly. out there, so many different ways to, to slice things up. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like we toured North America on a Harley Davidson. That was fantastic. We loved it. Yeah. We loved it. It was great. So. In fact, we had less gear then back then. We, yeah, we would have. We would have done. Yeah. Way less gear. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, it's been just so much fun sitting and talking with you guys. And I know you're, you're just about to walk out the door and uh, continue this adventure of yours. Katrina, Graham, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. You're welcome. Thank you, Jim. Now it's been a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Well, that was- 
was Katrina and Graham Perkins talking from their home in Australia right before they're getting ready to get back on a plane, go back to their motorcycle, and start riding once again. And we've got some good photos from the pair from some of their adventures, as well as a link to their blog in the show notes for this episode on our website, adventureriderradio.com. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. That about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and you. Thank you very much for listening and being a part of the show that way. Now, the show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. So if you're not doing it already, we need your support. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com. Click on support. You'll find there that anything $10 or more will get you some stickers, some really nice Adventure Rider Radio stickers for your pannier, your toolbox. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on the other show that we do, and that's called Raw. That comes out once a month. It comes out on the 21st of each month. It's a separate feed, so just go to where you're finding podcasts and search for Adventure Rider Radio. You'll find the two shows there. Or just go to our website, adventureriderradio.com, and you'll find it there as well. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Hi, this is Charlie Borman, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. 